What I'm about to share with you has been a huge revelation for me the last few years. I have observed the effects of trauma in my body and intentionally sought out healing for every part of my being. The reality is that our body and brain is changed not only by what we experience in our lifetime, but also by what our ancestors have experienced. We've talked on the podcast before about neuroplasticity and how God gives us the ability to renew our minds and change our neural pathways to align with truth. In the same light, today we're chatting about generational trauma, wounds, and patterns that impact our entire system, including our DNA, and how to take steps forward to heal. Are you in a season where you're longing for more, desiring inner peace, hoping for more authenticity in relationships? Perhaps you're feeling unsettled inside, like you know that God is calling you deeper, higher, and further than you've ever gone before. You are ready for change and it's time for something to shift. But what is it? What's been missing? My name is Amber Todd. I am a Christian counselor, and I believe that you were never meant to live a disconnected, segmented life. You were created for connection, deep, authentic, healing connection. First, within yourself, because your mental, physical, and spiritual health is interconnected. This is why I love collaborating with doctors and like-minded holistic practitioners who honor God's design for our whole being to function and operate in harmony. Life Interconnected Podcast is an intentional space you can come to every week to receive encouragement, hope, and a fresh perspective on your internal world so that you better understand your thoughts and emotions and how to live a connected life. Join this movement of mindful believers who desire to grow in our faith and cultivate a holistic approach to health and wellness. Subscribe to the podcast today and share it with your friends. Welcome to Life Interconnected. In last week's episode, I shared a very personal and vulnerable story about my grandmother and what she experienced at the age of 44 was the result of decades of trauma abuse, physically and emotionally. Her murder happened in 1976, before I was even born. And I found out at the age of five. And at that time, I was obviously a very curious kid, and I had a wonderful relationship with my dad's parents who lived locally. And I would see them all the time. We spent a lot of time with them. And my little five-year-old mind was trying to figure out, where are my other grandparents? I hadn't really asked about that or realized that I even had other grandparents or that most people had two sets of grandparents. But for me, that was kind of what started the beginning of my world feeling less safe. My parents shared with me about my grandmother's story and what had happened to her. And as a result of her murder, my grandfather spent the rest of his life in prison. So therefore, I never actually met either one of them. And even though they were alive when I was born, because he actually died shortly before I was born, and I'll share more about that another time. I am still impacted by their story 
and this generational line that I came from, you know, there's something called vicarious trauma, which means that even if it didn't happen directly to me, just hearing about something that is traumatic can impact our system. Now, as a counselor, this is something that I have to be aware of all the time because I'm constantly holding space for other people's stories. But today I want to share with you more about my my own story as a child and then growing up working through these layers of our family's trauma and the generational patterns and the overall impact that that had on my body, mind, and spirit. I think it's important to understand that as children, we are still figuring out the world, right? We're trying to figure out how the world works, um, how to stay safe, what our place is in the world. And I just remember having this overall shocking sense and realization that the world is not safe. It's not the safe place that I thought it was before I found out what happened to my grandmother. It was almost this realization of, I didn't even know that murder was possible. I didn't know that people could be that evil, especially someone who was my direct blood relative. It led to a lot of confusion. It led to an overall sense of fear that I didn't know if I was safe any longer. And there were so many things that I believe transpired after that, that have taken me honestly decades to heal. And I understand why my parents wanted me to know what happened. And also at the same time, is there really any convenient time to share that? And I think when we look at psychology and we study the identity development of a child, it's typically within the first seven years that a child develops their identity. They develop a sense of self, the way they view themselves, the way they view their family, the way they view God is typically established in a foundation in the first seven years. And so for me, I think finding out about this trauma, one, it impacted my cognitive awareness of a sense of self and safety. But then also there's this whole other layer of subconscious impact, meaning ways that I didn't even know were directly linked to the trauma and the murder were actually impacted me before I was even aware of what happened. And those are things that I've continued to unpack over the years in my own counseling and my own healing work. And so when, when we look at the impact generationally of any type of trauma, violence, even things like anxiety and depression, we are affected in our entire system. And so sometimes we can chalk that up as, you know, nurture, right? Like what we observe in our parents, their tendencies, we tend to mimic and model. But also there's this nature side. There's the genetic side. There's a side of what have we actually inherited in our bodies in the way our DNA is expressed in the way that we think that propels us into repeating familiar patterns. So even something like my, if your mom or, or, or dad is anxious, you have a two to, to five times more likely chance of being anxious. Now, is that because you're constantly observing their anxious thoughts and you're feeling their anxious energy? Yeah, that's probably a part of it. But is there something physiological that's going on? And if that can happen with something like anxiety, wow, 
it's also going to happen on the extreme end of trauma and fear and pain. And so I think when I think about my experience as a kid, you know, I, I have always been a high achiever, always really involved in school, always had really high expectations of myself. So I could be also really impatient or easily irritable as a kid, almost like this looking back. I think it was like this underlying, um, sense of like frustration. If things didn't go the way I had hoped, I could easily be set off. Now, can I a hundred percent link that to some of the anger and sadness as a part of my generational story? No, it's not a hundred percent because of that, but I'm just trying to give you the picture of observing these different parts of your personality and your experiences as a child. Could we look at part of the impact of how you were formed could have been related to what was actually passed along to you from your generational line. And so that's what I'm focusing on today. And I want to make this really practical and also insightful as I have been uncovering my own puzzle pieces these last few years. And so one of the big aha moments for me as I began to do this healing work is making some connections between my physiological and even mental symptoms or thought patterns. And one of the first physiological patterns that became blaringly obvious to me that was beyond a coincidence was the fact that my mom and I used to experience the exact same physical pain in the exact same spot in our body at seemingly random times, but it would be the same time. And what that was is on the upper side of my, the right side of my back, right behind my shoulder blade, I would get this sharp, excruciating pain that felt like a knife going in my back. And it would usually come on maybe every three to four weeks and seemingly out of nowhere. And it would just hurt so bad. And I I can never figure out what caused it or how to make it go away. Usually within a a couple days, it would kind of go away on its own. I would try to stretch or put a heat pad on it, but it seemingly just seemed random. But then I started realizing my mom had the exact same sensation in the exact same spot in her body. Now, could we say that's just a coincidence? I mean, I think it's more than a coincidence. My mom and I both experienced a sharp knife sensation in our back. Now, if you listen to my grandmother's story and understand what happened to her, we can draw a conclusion. Could a physiological component within our generational inheritance of trauma and violence be expressed in a physiological symptom that my mom and I were now experiencing decades later. I believe that that's the case. And I'll tell you why, because the more that I've unpacked that and the more that I understand, okay, here's a physical symptom that seems random, but yet two people from the generational line are experiencing. And also knowing the story, it makes sense. Well, how do I heal that? I've done the physical therapy. I've done the chiropractic. I've tried the heat pads. I've tried stretching, but this sensation keeps happening. Why is that? Well, it wasn't until Nate and I went to this marriage retreat weekend, and you're going to hear from him next week. We mentioned part of this in our episode. He's actually coming on the podcast. You get to learn from my incredible husband, and we're going to unpack together more of our story together as husband and wife, working through generational healing. But we had this amazing experience at a retreat 
where I was able for the first time to uncover the first layer of generational trauma, which was anger. Knowing what's happened to my grandmother and understanding how she never had a voice to express the injustice of what happened to her. It makes sense that anger was the first layer. And any counselor knows that anger, you know, is really uh, a secondary emotion. There's often so much underneath it. It's like the top of the iceberg. And so in this experience that I had with Nate, I was able for the first time to fully get out and express the anger that I felt like was deep, deep, deeply inside of me. And it was so deep that I knew it wasn't just my anger. I believe it was the anger from my mother and ultimately the anger from the injustice of what happened to my grandmother. And the way I describe it in this experience I had with Nate is that I was able to finally release that I don't think I've ever screamed as loud as I screamed that day. I don't think I ever sobbed as long as I sobbed that day. There was so much that was inside of me and it wasn't about Nate. He was just holding space and containing this deep well of anger and sadness within me that I felt like was truly a generational healing and release. And as I poured that out, as I expressed that, as I finally felt like I didn't have to hold it in or hold it back anymore, I finally felt free. I felt lighter. I felt like, oh my goodness, this big, deep pit within me was finally out. And after that day, the stabbing pain in my back never came back. I didn't experience it anymore. It was gone. Now, does that make sense? Maybe, maybe not. I'm just telling you what my experience is. That there was something that I healed that day that felt fully released from my body and my experience after that changed. So that was a physical release that I experienced from the generational impact of trauma. There was also a profound emotional release that happened for me last October. I had this healing weekend. Again, Nate and I went away for the weekend with a group of friends. And I really felt like for the first time I was able to tap into the sadness and grief that my grandmother felt and that I felt on her behalf. I intellectually understood it. I had cried before, but I i don't think I really understood the depth of the sadness. And surprisingly, this all unfolded through a vision that I had. And as I was praying, I just got this picture in my mind. And I, in this vision, I saw my grandfather and he waved me over to sit next to him. And of course I was hesitant. You may have noticed on the podcast, I still haven't said his name. Um, I don't really talk about him a lot. He doesn't really feel like my grandfather. Um, I call my dad's dad, grandpa, who's no longer with us. But in this moment, in this vision, as I sensed my grandfather inviting me over, I knew that there was healing that needed to happen. 
and he was holding a feather and a pair of scissors and he had tears down his cheek. And in this vision, he just started talking to me about how he had cut my grandmother's feathers. And he, I, and I just saw him snipping the feathers with the scissors and, and crying. And he looked at me and said, I am so sorry for cutting her feathers before she could fly. And it was just this moment of repentance that I felt from him in this vision. And almost this sense of deep sadness and realization of the grief of my grandmother on a deeper level. After that vision, I walked out to this grassy area on the property of where we were staying, and I just laid on the ground and belly down, gripping the grass with each of my fingers, my nails digging into the soil. I just began to sob. And I cried and sobbed deep from my belly for over an hour, feeling the pain and the grief that she felt losing her life at 44. I felt like my tears falling into the soil that day were connecting with her tears, her life that was lost in her front yard. That day felt like such an emotional release for me in processing more deeply the grief, the pain, and even the repentance of my grandfather. There's something really profound that happened probably see about five years ago. And I want to share this little snippet of my brother's story because I believe that as we're talking about generational healing, I want you to see that it hasn't just been me. It's also been my brother. My brother was going through a hard season. He was struggling with addiction and had been in and out of jail a couple of times. This was in his, you know, early mid twenties. And there was one day that he was in jail in Bloomington and he got a new cellmate who was around 70, maybe mid seventies. And this man and my brother began to talk. Of course, that's all you have is time when you're sitting in jail all day. And they began to talk about their stories, their life. And my brother began to share with this older man about our family story. Now, his cellmate had a rough life. He had been in and out of jail and prison most of his life. And he had a lot of of different life experiences. And so as my brother began to share about our family and what happened to my grandmother and, and how that had impacted him, and his grief and his pain and his ways of coping with addiction. This man had this look in his eyes, this wide-eyed look. 
and he looked directly at my brother and out loud he said my grandfather's name. Is this your grandfather? And of course, in shock, my brother looks back at him and says, yes, that is his name. And this man went on to tell my brother that in the late 70s, this man, this same man was a cellmate to my grandfather in a state prison in Michigan. The same man that was in the jail cell sitting right in front of my brother shared a jail cell in prison in Michigan with my grandfather after he was convicted for first-degree murder. And this man began to tell my brother about how my grandfather had wept and grieved and repented of his horrific sin and behavior that completely robbed my grandmother's life and changed our family's generational line. And he began to tell my brother stories about how my grandfather had this huge come to Jesus moment and how he began to grow in his faith in, in that prison and how he began to serve other cellmates and began to really do his own healing work from the demons and, and spiritual oppression that he had experienced himself along with mental illness. And I'm sharing this with you because there's absolutely no way (laughs) that we could have ever orchestrated that experience. There is no way that we even had any idea of knowing that this is what happened to my grandfather after he went to prison. My mom and her siblings never had any contact with him. And we knew that he died in prison. And there are some things that happened in some of the, the years that followed in the midst of this happening. But we didn't really know about what happened in his heart, what happened in his spirit, until my brother had this experience with his cellmate. You guys, generational healing is possible. And the God of all things can orchestrate situations supernaturally to bring healing in our generational line. And I believe that experience that day propelled deeper levels of forgiveness that my mom then was able to process and make sense of. And many things happened after that that began to shift things for not only my brother and I, but also for for my parents and also for generations to come after us. And I am so grateful for God's grace in that. I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to learn those things about my grandfather. Of course, it doesn't make the story easier. It doesn't excuse what happened. It doesn't just make it okay. But it does bring a little bit of a sense of closure. And me having that vision of my grandfather's repentance makes sense. I truly believe that that was the posture of his heart before he died, even though I never met him. God gave me that picture and that experience, I believe, for closure in my own heart. And so 
I want you to understand today that trauma does impact our bodies, minds, and spirits. And you also have the opportunity to participate and have agency in your own healing. You cannot control what's happened to you or to your family or to your ancestors, but the results of it are in your body, are in your system. And you are now responsible to heal it, to bring it before God, to do the hard work, the inner work, so that your children and your children's children and generations after you don't have to. They don't have to tend to it to the degree that you have because you're owning it now. So here are the three points for today that I want to focus on. One, trauma can be stuck in your body. There are physiological consequences of trauma. In episode four, you heard me talk about how the body holds emotion and how to identify physical symptoms. The work that I've done, what we call somatic work, tending to my body, having these physical, emotional releases, doing myofascial work, understanding that trauma can be stored in your fascia, which is the part of your body that's right underneath your skin, between your skin and your muscles. Emotion can be stored there. We can have this emotional suppression that impacts ultimately how our DNA is expressed. And I want to dig in a little bit into the field of epigenetics because it is a study of how your behavior and environment can change and affect the way your genes work. Okay. So it's not always that your DNA itself is changing, but the way that it's expressed can be changed. And so there's three different classes of epigenetic regulation. There's DNA methylation, there's histone modification and non-coding RNA action. Now those are a lot of fancy scientific words. What I just mean is that if you consider your life as a book, Your DNA is the unchanging alphabet, but the plot, which is shaped by your life experiences and circumstances and things you've gone through is fluid. And so significant trauma can cause dramatic plot twists that may not necessarily change your alphabet, but it changes how the DNA is expressed. It impacts your mood. It causes reactions. It impacts your health. It makes you more susceptible to certain conditions. So researchers are discovering that these modifications can be inherited from generation to generation via genetic material. That's why trauma can be stored genetically for for their finding up to four generations, which is actually what scripture says. Scripture says that we basically carry the sin of four generations, that we carry the effects of four generations, but that we have the opportunity to heal thousands So what this means is that environmental factors like stress can impact not only your health, but also your family and your descendants. And so let's think about this on two lens, right? Like one is things like anxiety and depression. So there's clear clear research showing that anxiety is influenced by genetics. And I mentioned earlier that if you have a family connection to anxiety, that means that it, it, it has impacted how their DNA is expressed. And so if you have a close relative who struggles you do have a higher likelihood of struggling. Now, does that mean it's guaranteed? No. Does that mean maybe you have to do harder work to to cope with it and change it? Yes. Which is what I've had to work through In, in, in the consequences of trauma that have resulted in anxiety, depression, and addiction in my family. I've had to choose a different path. I've had to work harder maybe than other people 
to fight against those patterns and change them for myself and my children. Now, if we look at the extreme end of violence and trauma, survivors of violence or childhood abuse, they carry that trauma often into adulthood and beyond. And if you look at the research, their offspring, their children are at increased risk for PTSD, anxiety, obesity, diabetes. When I look at my own family story, and I'll share more about the different pieces of this down the road in the podcast, specifically my aunt who witnessed the murder, she is still frozen in the seventies. It's like she thinks and processes as a child still. You can see it in her body. You can see it in her face. She's never sought out counseling. She has completely disassociated. And I even had an experience that I wanted to share that happened about a month ago. And I was downtown and was in a restroom and heard someone crying in the stall next to me, a woman crying, asking for help. And so I began to talk with her and she was in need of uh, food and was looking for a ride and was just honestly sort of all over the place. So she comes out of the stall and she, I can just see in her eyes that she's, she's disassociated. I mean, she was also, was obviously she hadn't bathed in probably a couple weeks. Um, she was holding um, a blank, a blanket and a teddy bear. And she began talking to me and she began saying, I'm looking for, I need to find a place for me and my baby. I need to find a place for us to stay. And I'm looking around like, where's your baby? And then she looks down and she points to her teddy bear. This is my baby. My baby keeps crying. My baby keeps crying. We need to find a place to stay. And then she looks at me and I'm sort of trying to assess what is going on. And it's obvious to me that that she has a lot of mental illness. Obviously it wasn't a baby. It was a teddy bear, but then she says something It's like for one moment, she snaps into reality and she says, my baby died. I know that my baby isn't here, but this is my baby. And so again, I don't know what happened to her baby at this point. I'm concerned for her, a friend, uh, her friend walks up I gather, I, I, I get some other friends who are around to try to figure out how we can help the two of them. And I'm sharing that because I knew within a minute that this woman had experienced severe trauma, likely as a child, which then probably propelled into her disassociation and mental illness, et cetera, her hallucination. And I share that because when you experience something so traumatic you literally can't function unless some things happen in your brain and your body to cope with that level of pain. And so I believe for my aunt, probably for this woman, there's almost a part of your brain that just flips and compartmentalizes the trauma and begins to live in another reality. That's what we call, you know, disassociation. Or we call that even like personality splits. So people who are extreme, like schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder, I believe a lot of it's a result of trauma. And in the splitting in the brain. Now, something that's fascinating is, you know, and you can learn more about this. There's a book called It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wollen. And he talks about how inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle. And and he describes the trauma of our parents and our grandparents, even our great grandparents can, can live in unexplained depression, anxiety, fears, phobias, OCD, physical symptoms. 
now what, what researchers are calling secondary PTSD. And so with this epigenetic research and understanding how the body keeps a score and understanding how traumatic memories are transmitted through our DNA, we now have this neuroscience understanding of what has happened in our body and how to break through inherited family patterns. And to do that, we have to understand how trauma has affected our brain. So this is point number two. Trauma brain is real and it's the result of patterns and coping through what's happened in a traumatic experience. So simply put, when a person experiences something traumatic, there's adrenaline and neurochemicals that rush to the brain and print a picture there. And that traumatic memory loops in the emotional side of the brain, disconnecting that part of the brain from conducting reasoning and logical cognitive processing. So that means that unexpected rage, tears, shortness of breath, increased heart rate, shaking, memory loss, concentration difficulty, insomnia, nightmares, numbing, it can hijack both a person's identity and their life. And not only does trauma impact our brain, but point number three is that trauma can also impact our view of God. What happens when your spirit is so crushed as a result of experiencing abuse directly or or vicariously? What happens when your heart has become so hardened towards God because you've cried out over and over and over again and nothing changed? Trauma impacts every part of our being, our mind, body, and spirit. And we are responsible now as those who have inherited it to do something about it, to partner with God to bring healing. So here is the big idea for today. Generational trauma, wounds, and patterns do affect our lives. And while we can't change what happened to our ancestors, we can heal the consequences that are now in our system and change future generational patterns for the better. My husband and I always talk about how we want our ceiling to be our children's floor. In essence, our willingness to confront generational patterns, our willingness to do inner work, our willingness to free these things from our body is allowing our children to be more free and have less inner work to do because we're willing to do it now. And of course, that then impacts the way we parent and the way that they're observing us and the way we interact with them. And what's fascinating is that when I experienced that, that huge emotional release and was able to really pour out this deep generational anger, I came home from that weekend experience and one of my daughters who had been struggling with biting her nails for the last like three years, I came home and she just had stopped biting her nails. Literally. I had tried everything. We tried the nail polish paint. We tried putting gloves on her. We tried all the things. But there was something about me doing the inner work and releasing something physiological, neurochemical, and spiritual that when I came home, she no longer struggled with that habit. This work is so important and it has lasting impact, not only on our lives, but on generations to come. So here's what I want you to reflect on this week. What generational wounds might you still be carrying what experiences have your ancestors had? What stories are a part of your generational line that you need to tend to? Do you have unexplained symptoms or struggles? Or do you have blaringly obvious repeated patterns that are similar to either of your parents? How can you start to tend to those wounds? 
I think a great first step is counseling and cognitively processing what happened. I think if you've done that and you've tended to it and processed it, the next step is often somatic body work, which I talk a lot about in episode four. So take your next step to own your healing and to move forward in changing the generations to come. Here's a sneak peek for next week's episode. I am sitting down with my incredible husband, Nate, and you'll get to witness this important conversation that the two of us have as we are reflecting on our own healing together as husband and wife, how we've moved through a lot of these generational pains and patterns. And specifically, Nate has so much wisdom about how men are wired interconnected and how the emotional experiences of men, which have often been suppressed, can lead to layers of hurt and pain that need to be tended to. And men are wired differently from women. And Nate has so much insight into this and and shares very vulnerably and honestly about his own story. So you'll want to catch the episode in the next two weeks as you hear from him and we continue this journey together. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for sharing the space with me today. I want you to know that God sees you. You are loved, valued, and important. If this podcast helped you, it would mean so much if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and text or post a screenshot with your friends who can join our mindful movement of believers. Let's live intentionally as God designed life to be interconnected. I'm cheering for you. We are in this together, and I look forward to next time.